You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy birthday, America. Thanks for being a kick-ass country and... (laughs) Thanks for everybody who tuned in today. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast. I really appreciate it. Happy 4th of July. Hopefully you and your families got to do a lot of fun stuff. Let me just run through what I did this weekend. Friday after work, we took a little staycation, went fishing. I caught bass. I caught bluegill. Uh, I think I caught a walleye. I caught uh, smallmouth, largemouth. Then we went uh, to a sandbar on the Mississippi River where we cooked hot dogs uh, on a homemade fire. Uh, I had to use some Boy Scout. I had to pull uh, my my old Boy Scout tricks out of the bag, uh, cook s'mores, watch boats go by, watch the kids play in the river. Uh, And then the next day we went to uh, another location did some more fishing this time my daughter got to take part in a lot of the action and uh i don't know if any of you guys have ever run into the the big hybrid bluegills that uh some people stock in their ponds but we we ran into a pond that uh that had never been fished probably in a couple years to be honest with you the guy's just like yeah i don't know who fishes it i I built it a long time ago for a tax write-off i stocked it and uh i don't think anybody fishes it so we go down into this overgrown little uh pond and my daughter gets this bite and it just takes her pole bends it right over and she's like help 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 so my father-in-law had to go scoop her and help her reel it in and it was one of those big over a pound uh bluegills they're just real fat we caught about or we kept about 15 of them and uh filleted them out and those will be uh a fish fry sometime this summer uh then we came home we watched fireworks no we watched fireworks then we came home um I blew up the pool. We did some swimming stuff. We went to a pool party and uh, just had, you know, it's one of those times I didn't, I, I wasn't online a lot. Uh, majority of my time was spent focused on the family uh, and just having an overall good time with them. And uh, this upcoming weekend is 
time to get to work. It's deer time. And uh, I'll be hanging tree stands. I'll be adjusting uh, trail cameras, hanging my new Gen 2 cameras that I'm going to be getting from Exodus. And uh, just to let you know, the Gen 2 trail cameras are available now. So you should go pick some up the same discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers is going to get you a $20 discount off of that trail camera. And uh, again, guys, if you haven't heard the last podcast that I did with Matt Klein of Exodus trail cameras, be sure to go listen to that because it discusses all of the new, uh, all of the new features for the the Gen 2, the Lift Gen 2 uh, camera, and it's a pretty kick-ass camera. Uh, I'm excited to get mine up and out and uh, capture some of the Velvet Fest. Uh, I don't know the the fun festive Velvet Fest festivities, I guess you could say, and uh, see what deer I got running around out there. But Again, please go to the Exodus Outdoor Gear website. Take a look at the old cameras. Take a look at their new cameras and uh, dig in deep. Uh, if it's something that you like, and I, 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 I'm pretty sure it's something that you're going to like. They, they did a lot of improvements this year to that camera uh, on this Gen 2. And uh, when you do decide to purchase, like I said, use that discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. And uh, you can save 20 bucks on your trail camera. So with all that said, I I really didn't even talk about what we were going to get into today. Today's podcast is with a gentleman from Montana who is who loves fly fishing. And when I say he loves fly fishing, he loves fly fishing. Like I love bow hunting. So we discuss his passion for fly fishing, how he got into it. He also does a lot of hunting out there because Montana, you can really shoot any, any big game animal, the antelope, mule deer, elk, whitetail, bear, moose, uh, he even is, he even does some predator, uh, hunting out there as well. So, uh, a lot of crazy things this guy does. His name's Shane and he is, uh, he just loves the outdoors. And we, we even get into a little bit of uh, backstory about how and when he moved out to Montana from the Midwest. So, uh, hopefully you guys enjoy. Thank you very much for tuning in. Now let's get into today's BS session podcast two, one. All right. Today's guest, Mr. Shane Rickert. How you doing today, Shane? Dan, I'm doing great, man. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, excited to talk here a little bit about uh, fly fishing and, and hunting and as a transplant in Montana. Yeah, absolutely. I tell you what, um, I am born and raised in Iowa. And I don't know how much time in a week I spent just on Google Maps. You know, on uh, on Google Maps and Google Earth, they have uh, little squares and you can punch them and then a picture pops up or you can scroll through pictures. So for fun, I like to go out west, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Colorado, wherever, and zoom into a place, look at pictures and wish that I was there. And you are there. I am in the heart of it. Here in nice. Bozeman, right in the heart of the Gallatin Valley, we've um, 
to our east, we've got the Bridger Range. To our south, we've got the Galtons and Absarokas. And then to the west, we've got the Tobacco Roots. Um, and that kind of frames up the, the Gallatin Valley and, and Bozeman smack dab right in the middle of it. Um, got elk hunting 10 minutes out the door, literally from my front door. And um, blue ribbon trout streams on the Gallatin and the Upper Madison and the Yellowstone all within from 10 to 45 minutes. So nice. it's... Um, yeah, we're we're in the heart of it for sure. It seems like uh, Bozeman uh, is now. Maybe it's been for a while, but uh, it's it's becoming a very popular destination for those looking to get into uh, the hunting industry. It seems like it's it's a hub, so to speak. Oh yeah, without a doubt, Dan. We've got. Um, I mean, just on the hunting side, you've got Sitka Mystery Ranch, Stone Glacier. Um, fishing wise, you've got. Uh, Sims is obviously the big guys. Um, you've got a couple little guys. You've got Firehole Hooks. They just started up. Um, I mean, and rumor has it, I mean, Patagonia is coming to Bozeman. Um, wow. So it, it's, it really is. It's turning into the hub uh, for sure. It's, I've been here, well, it'll be 10 years. And yeah, I've, it's been a huge change in the outdoor industry for sure. People are catching on to what we've got in our backyard. Right. Absolutely. And I think, uh, not just manufacturers, right? I mean, you or the company that you work for is out there, uh, more on the kind of marketing side of things. Um, and several other photographers and marketing companies are out there as well. So, um, who do you, who do you actually work for? Yeah. So I work for Seacat Creative, uh, founded by Mark Seacat. Um, and we specialize in the digital marketing photography and videography side. Um, some of our clients include Sika, Yeti Matthews, um, Hatch Reels, Gore-Tex, uh, Hilleberg Tents, uh, Wild Sheep Foundation, Arctic Red River Outfitters. Um, and, and we kind of run the gamut anywhere from, you know, a full-blown social media digital marketing package um, all the way to just, you know, shooting photography for these clients specifically. Um, kind of have multiple packages that we can cater to everybody, but... Um, yeah, for sure. It's been a lot of fun. I've almost been here for two years. I guess I hate to say it, but it was definitely a dream job. And, and I've known Mark for many years before I even began working here and, and got the magic call one day that he had an opening and I was the first person. So I, um, yeah, living the dream as a mid 20s year old here in Bozeman working in nice. the, uh, the outdoor industry. Nice. So what is your role at CCAT? So my main role is I'm one of the account managers for Sika um, on the digital marketing side. So we're doing anywhere from, from, you know, post creation for Facebook and Instagram. Um, we're doing all the way from, you know, film rollouts, um, you know, product launches like the subalpine launch. That was a couple month process for us. Um, we also do a lot of photography. I'm sure everybody listening, um, they've seen our photography uh, used on Sitka. We've also done a lot of films for them. Um, and it's not just all the, the glamour films. We've done all their product videos as well. And, and the Instagear videos that a lot of people are familiar with, the, the short original 15 second clips, you know, those were, those were shot right here in Bozeman and uh, in our office. So nice. kind of the, the full gamut, but I, I'm focused. I'd say 95% of my day is on the, on the digital marketing, social media side for Sika. Nice. Nice. So you're, uh, originally a Southern Michigan boy. 
How did you end up in Bozeman? Yeah, I grew up uh, pretty much an hour and a half, um, I'd say due west of Detroit, little podunk farm town, one flashing yellow light, um, right by the town of Jackson, which some folks might be familiar with. Um, and then we started my first trip out to Montana was with my dad when I was 13. Uh, my uncle bought a piece of property and a house on the Boulder River, about an hour and a half in Big Timber from Bozeman. Um, and I vividly remember my dad waking up the very first morning and, and dragging me out of bed and going, Shane, come here, look at this. And the Boulder River was flowing through the backyard and, you know, we could see all the mountains and we flew in in the dark. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Um, I think at that time, my dad hadn't been west of the Mississippi since he was probably 15. Yeah. Um, and I remember my dad looking at me and saying, I'm going to retire here. And that was, shoot, you know, 20 years ago, seems like right. 15 years ago. And when the recession hit Michigan in 2007, um, my dad lost his job and my mom went from full-time to part-time and I was graduating high school and my little brother was getting out of middle school or elementary school, excuse me. And, um, remember my dad coming home one day and saying, we're putting the house up for sale. We're out of here. We're moving to Bozeman. Um, wow. Just like that. And that, yep. Just like that. So that was, I would have been 16 at the time. Um, and yeah, I, it's all kind of surreal to me now looking back on it. Um, at that point, Montana for us was a vacation spot. Right. Um, you know, I fly fish because we were on vacation and that's just what you did in Montana. And, you know, we didn't, I didn't know what an elk was, let alone what a mule deer was. Right. Um, really naive. All we had were whitetails and I grew up hunting a place that was stricken with, um, with bovine tuberculosis. Um, and so I saw three deer in four years of hunting in Northern Michigan. Oh, um, and I remember that first year moving out here and seeing 50 deer in the morning and just, that's when it all kind of clicked. Um, right. Knew, we realized that we were definitely where we were meant to be. Right. Right. So, you know, as a kid, you, you think of some place as a vacation spot and then all of a sudden you're now living there. What kind of adjustments did you have to make, uh, if you can remember, you know, from a place that's, you know, you, you thought of as a vacation to now this area is your home. It took, I would have to say it probably took for me to adjust. It probably took three months for me to actually start to realize what opportunities were, you know, 10 minutes out our back door, um, for, for both my dad and I, um, specifically, because, you know, the Gallatin River was so close and it finally took me, yeah, like I said, probably three months to be like, this is, why am I not utilizing this resource? I didn't grow up with anything like that. Um, you know, I never realized, you know, to drive down a mountain road and with a shotgun and grouse were abundant and you could just walk around for two hours and shoot a limit of grouse. You know, that took two falls for my dad and I to realize you could do that. Yeah. Um but once, once everything clicked and realized that you could find a blue square estate land along a river bottom, and you know, chances are you were going to see a deer and probably a buck bigger than we were ever going to see in northern Michigan. That was when, you know, everything really fired up for us. And I just started, I bought a gazetteer and, you know, just started exploring, crossing blue lines off the map. 
um, different places I could pull over. And, and once that happened, you know, then the, then we really started to realize just what we had gotten ourselves into and we haven't looked back. Right. Right. So just the public land offerings alone made it worth, worth your while. It sounds like, Oh gosh, we moved out here. We had, a. um, an older German short hair that we we've unfortunately since had to put down, but um, yeah, we'd find a blue square state land and grab the shotguns and grab the dog. And yeah, we'd go wander around and find sharp tails and Hungarian partridge and mountain grouse. And um, you know, and growing up in Michigan, we had, you know, rough grouse and woodcock were the, the main uh, upland birds. And that was really where my dad's heart is, is the, the upland bird. And, and then once I realized the, the um, the fishing access sites that Montana offers, I guess, um, with the the surrounding state land, um, and you know, hunt in the morning, fish in the afternoon, and and repeat. That was where, you know, it really clicked for me. Right. Now, my question is, when you first moved out there, was there a period of time where you know, kind of transitioning from a vacation destination to your actual home? Was there a period of time where you were just gun ho trying to do as much as you possibly could in, in in a day? And then did you realize that, wait a second, I live here now. I don't need to, I don't need to force anything. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we would. I mean, one of the guys, I, it's actually kind of funny. I work with him at CCAT creative now. Um, when I met shoot, we were, we'd wake up at 4am and we'd go and do a, a dawn patrol float on one of the local rivers or, you know, fish the Gallatin. And then, you know, we'd grab the rifles and run over to a chunk of state land. And, you know, we'd try to shoot a doe in the evening. And, and whenever one of us dropped each other off at the car, it was, you know, all right, see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. And now I've kind of slowed down where you can kind of pick and choose your days a little bit more. Cause you're right. We've, it, I can do it tomorrow. Um, yeah. that doesn't mean that I, I still don't try to be in the field as often, but the, the days of 4am to midnight are kind of, uh, slowing down a little bit for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, um, it, I mean, just listening to you talk about it, you can hear it in your voice that it, it's just something that it, it, everybody kind of needs to experience in one way, shape or form. Um, now, when you're, you kind of mentioned a little bit before we started recording, you know, if it came down to hunting and fishing, you're more than likely going to, going to pick fishing. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's an accurate statement, Dan. Um, yeah, I was kind of how I was saying, if somebody calls me at five to go elk hunting, but somebody calls me at four to go fishing, I'm going to go go fishing. Um, and that's the, a, a very specific type of fly fishing, I guess, has kind of bit me. Um, you know, there, you kind of go through a couple different phases of trout fishing. Uh, one is you just want to catch fish. Doesn't matter how small, how big you just want to catch them. Um, step two is you want to catch a lot of fish. You know, maybe you want to, it's not a good day unless you catch 20 or 30 trout. Um, and then your third phase is you just want to catch fish the way that you want to. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the phase that I'm at right now. I'm kind of, you know, I've caught enough. I don't want to sound shallow or, you know, cocky, but I've caught enough eight inch rainbows or, you know, small mountain streams as much as I do love that in the summer. 
um, you know, I want to catch fish the way that I want to fish. And, um, that's throwing big streamers on, on big heavy rods out of a drift boat on the Yellowstone or the upper Madison river. Um, and unfortunately you've got to kind of take and uh, pick and choose your battles because those big Browns that, you know, are pushing, you know, 18 plus inches, um, you know, they're, they're hungriest and they're, they're most, uh, predatory, you know, in the fall, right. When the elk are bugling and, Thankfully, everybody else wants to chase bugling elk because the rivers are pretty quiet. <laughs> That's good for you, right? It's great for us. We'll um, we'll show up, you know, at the boat ramp at seven a.m. and there might be one other boat there, and you know, it's a guy that has absolutely no desire to ever elk hunt in his life. But once um, what's even better once we get the once upland or waterfall season starts, you know, we've always got a shotgun in the boat. Um, and a handful of decoys we'll keep in the bottom of it to pull into a back slough or something for a little cast and blast. But the, um, the end goal is to find the biggest brown trout in the river and catch them on a fly rod. Right. All right. So catch and release, are you a catch and release guy or, or do you keep a little bit for, uh, for the grill or how do you approach that? Uh, in the rivers, I will say, um, I just did a Smith river float. Oh, it would have been three weeks ago now. Uh, did a Smith River float. A couple guys caught some 12-inch rainbows. You bet. We had tinfoil and we had olive oil and seasonings, and we ate fish almost every night that trip. Um, high mountain lakes, most of them get stocked. You bet. I'm going to keep a cutthroat or two out of them. Um, and even some of the, the small mountain streams, you know, you'll stumble across a brook trout. Um, nope, you bet. Going to going to put some of those on the fire but you know it i fish because it relaxes me and i tell people that the last thing i want to do, do deal with when i get home is you know gutting flaying freezing and wrapping you know trout that have been sitting in my cooler all day yeah. um, so you know a day trip on the upper madison or the yellowstone nope i'm going to be putting those fish back um, nice but an overnight trip or something no it's kind of one of those things I, you know, growing up in Michigan fishing, you know, stunted farm ponds where, you know, the bluegill were only got as big as your hand because of overpopulation. And, yep. you know, the state Montana is actually encouraging people right now to keep fish out of some, uh, some specific waters. Um, the beaver head, for example, um, there it's actually in our fishing regulations to, to please keep a limit of trout. Um, really? Because, you know, our, our waters are so clean because, you know, our conservation efforts have definitely paid off over the years. The, I mean, these rivers are, are plumb full of trout and, um, yeah, they're on the upper big hole. They're begging you to keep the brook trout. Uh, they're competing so heavily with, with the, uh, grayling that they've got in the river there. I think the upper big hole there, um, it's a 50 a day limit right now. Um, so they're, they're begging people to keep them. Yeah. So no, when we're on the big hole, you bet I'm going to put a couple brook trout. They're delicious. They're nice. um, kind of a little, little reminder of Michigan for me. If only we had more asparagus and more morels out here. <laughs> Amen. I, you know, I've heard some guys out West, uh, find some, find some morels, uh, up in the mountains. Yeah. The, um, the forest fire burns, um, you'll find black morels. And then in our kind of in the river bottoms and the cottonwood river bottoms, um, 
you can definitely stumble across big flushes of yellows. Um, I've personally, I've struggled on the river bottoms, you know, got this couple spots that'll hold six or a dozen, you know, every year. Um, nothing like we would find in Michigan though. I mean, I, I think my, my dad and I's best day, we found 14 pounds of morels. Holy you know, cow. Yeah. We, um, we, we were so sick of morels by that spring after <laughs> drying them and freezing them and eating them and, but um, no, the the forest fire burns. It's definitely, I would have to say, the kind of the the cat's meow when it comes to quantity. Um, actually, if you want, you have to have a commercial uh, commercial picking license. Um, and if you don't have that, they actually require you to cut those in half because restaurants don't want them if they're cut in half. Um, okay. So it, it's definitely pretty lucrative out here. There's no doubt about it. I remember the one of the first fires my dad and I went to. Um, a school bus was unloading and it was all commercial pickers, um, to, to pick morels for the day. Wow. Um, and then they're, they're selling them to local restaurants and you know, where, whatnot, but yeah, it's fun. It's kind of cool to, to be in the mountains picking morels and, and typically uh, the season runs a little bit later than the Midwest. I've, um, I've actually picked morels here in the mountains. Um, I've picked them all the way until mid June. So we, um, kind of expand the, the season where guys in Iowa and Michigan and Illinois, you know, they've, they haven't picked a morel for two months and, and we're still finding blacks here. Right. Right. Wow. That's awesome. Now back to fishing uh, a second. What is your, what is your favorite fish to, to catch or go after and why? Favorite fish hands down going to be a brown trout. Um, and I, with a, a, a streamer fishing that, that I like to do, you're, you're literally, you're hunting for maybe not the biggest, but you're hunting for the most aggressive fish in the river. Um, okay. and that's what really appeals to me is being able to, to target various features, various water types, um, using different techniques and triggering a reaction bite from those brown trout, um, a lot of these streamers are so gaudy and so obnoxious that we're using. They're not even, you know, imitating another fish. Um, but brown trout, they're so aggressive that typically they're, they're eating your fly as a, you know, get out of my home. You know, they're, they're trying to just make you go away and not eat you. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what really appeals to me. Um, it's that, that you're targeting your trophy hunting, I guess, a specific fish. You're looking for that one that, that wants to, you know, eat a four to six inch fly, or in some cases even bigger. Um, you know, you're using big rods. We're using eight weights and a couple of my buddies were using saltwater reels, and, um, you know, typically big sink tips to, to make those flies sink and get into the homes of those trout. Um, so that, that's where it's, it really is, uh, you know, what, what, uh, shines for me. Right. So I recently acquired a, uh, a fly rod and, and I'm, let me pick them up real quick They're right over here. And, and I actually had a listener of the podcast send me six homemade flies that, uh, uh, him and his dad made and, uh, which is, which is really cool. But, I, you know, and I tried to take it out and get some bluegills to bite on them, but yep. I just, I, I just don't have enough room to, 
to do that in the in my uh, mom and stepdad's farm pond. But how long would you, for someone who's never been fly fishing before, it's you yeah. know it's it's less of a, it's almost like an art, right? You have to be just like an athlete would have a jump shot. It's almost like your presentation and and the the, the cast itself has to be, you know you have to train on it. You have to work on it. Um, how long does it, would you, would you expect someone who's never like myself, who's never really been fly fishing? How long would you say it would take me to learn how to not necessarily perfect it, but be good enough to where I can be successful on a river? Yep. Where you're comfortable. I, right. I'm going to use, um, uh, I'm going to use my mom as an example here. Um, my mom is literally up until we're going to say two years ago, she had never touched a fly rod before she had touched one, but it was just too daunting and, you know, just too much for, her. um, and it took a, it took a summer for, her. um, she loves the, the mountain streams. She's in that, like I was saying earlier, she's in the, the phase of, I just want to catch fish. doesn't matter how big or how small, um, but it took her, it took her a solid, probably three months of, we'll say three days a month, um, where she at least got comfortable to tie her own knots and to make a cast. And, you know, it's inevitable. You're going to get tangled and those are frustrating as I'll get out. Um, so I would say if you watched, you know, one person cast a fly rod for 15 minutes and you copied exactly what they're doing you're going to pick it up, Dan. And I mean, shoot, you're going to pick it up in a weekend, to be honest with you. The problem is, is that you've got to dedicate yourself to it. Um, a lot of people that, that want to start, they'll want to have, you know, a spinning rod with them. And then when they get frustrated, they put the fly rod down and they grab the conventional gear that they're comfortable with. Um, it's just a forcing yourself to do it and just kind of getting over that first initial hurdle of, it's not daunting. I like to tell people fly fishing isn't a river runs through it. Um, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a lot of really, really close friends out here, uh, in Montana that are, that are very efficient and, you know, very popular and busy, uh, full-time guides. And I've kind of, I've always asked them for help, especially when my mom was starting, like, how do I make it easy? How do I make it easy? And it's, they call it the chop cast pick your arm up and put your arm down and you're not playing with line or anything like that. Um, so if you're going to go to your, you know, your farm pond and I would say strip out 15 feet of line and just move your arm back and forth and 90 degree motion, you know, basically we'll call it, Oh, 12 and three, you know, your arm hits 12 stop and then drop it down to three strip out 15 feet of line. And that's how you're going to make that initial cast. You're going to, you're going to start to feel how that rod's going to load with the line. Um, and that's how fly rods work. They're meant to bend. And typically when, when people are just starting, they're not going slow enough. Um, you want to let that line load that rod and that's how they cast. Right. Right. And that's the thing that, uh, that I've had to mess around with is I still get that whip right at the back end. Yep. So that means that I'm not waiting enough for, you know i'm moving forward too quick right you are yep so your your line and your leader and you're i mean you're cracking a whip basically you're breaking the the sound barrier um you're not waiting 
And it's literally, it's another, you know, half a second, something that you really can't even notice. Um, and the easiest way is, is when you're casting is to watch your rod. And when you see that rod start to bend all the way backwards, that means your rod's starting to load. And that's right. when you're ready to go on that front cast. When that rod's still straight up and down and it's not starting to bend, that's when you're, you're going to get that whip at the end. And you're, right. It's just you're going to break, break flies off and you're going to you know, wear your leader down quicker and you know, make it a lot weaker. And plus the, the active tying on a size 16 elk hair caddis is daunting and as, it, as it already is. And you don't want to break it off prematurely. So, Right. Yeah, there's – and – when I acquired that fly rod, it came in a in a package, right? And you yep. know, with a re, with a regular fishing pole, you you either tie directly to the line or you use a swivel, or, or you know, in yep. some cases, even a leader. Real real simple, right? And then yep. it was like you, first you have to tie this portion of the line to another line, then you got to take another that line and tie it to another portion of the line, and then that's where you actually uh, tie the the fly to and I'm I'm sitting there for what felt like 30 minutes trying to follow these instructions <laughs> I felt like a dipshit when I was uh, uh, you know trying to get it all um, you know put together but I got it and and I tell you what I was I was doing it for about mm, I, I was out on the pond and I didn't catch anything, but I was I was getting some decent casts down and, and doing what I thought was um, okay. And I was thinking to myself, I can see how people would fall in love with this just because I, I really can't explain it. So for you, you know, and you can answer this however you want to, but yeah. what what is it about fly fishing that, you know, for me, it's bow hunting, right? I am, I'm addicted hook, line and sinker to, to bow hunting. What is it about fly fishing that, you know, has its grips in you? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to try to not make these super cliche. Everybody says I fly fish because it's peaceful and well, that's great. But at the end of the day, I do like to catch trout and just like everybody that whitetail hunts, they've, yeah, it's great to see the sun come up when you're in a, a oak patch 20 feet in the air, but at the end of the day, you still want to shoot a deer. Um, right. So I, I'll try not to use that, but honestly, the places that it's taken me, um, I've driven down more gravel mountain roads in the state than than I ever would have following blue lines, looking for, you know, looking for runs and seams and holes that will hold trout. Um you know, just taking a drive down the Gallatin Canyon that's just outside of Bozeman and just exploring. Um, it gives me that excuse to do it. Um, the backpacking trips that I've done, the, the fishing at high mountain lakes that I've done, um, with that end goal, chances are I probably wouldn't hike five miles just to get to a lake and say, wow, that's cool and turn around and leave. Um, fishing fly fishing specifically is and you can of course use conventional gear but but fly fishing has really set that tone for me of of kind of that exploration um but i'm going to be cliche as much as i hate to do it i'm going to say it is is just being able to to just shut everything else out um you know typically you know a lot of our rivers 
and I'm proud to say it, a lot of our rivers don't have cell service still. Um, and if they do, it's very easy to get out of cell service. Um, it's awesome in this day and age. And, and especially as much as I, I love my job and I come into work with a smile on my face every day is, you know, it feels really good to have that phone in airplane mode for a couple hours. Um, and it's pretty cool to, to also sit in a drift boat and call a cast out for a buddy and say, make that cast next to that log jam with your dry fly and, and a trout comes up and, and eats your fly and thought you, that your, um, your hand tied piece of foam on a hook with some feathers was a, a real insect that they considered food. Um, that's probably one of the most exciting things is, is fooling a, fooling a trout, fooling any fish, but, um, you know, right. fooling a trout in a, in a river is, it's pretty cool to, to do that because they, they're legitimately, they're eating it as food. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm a professional fly tire, but catching fish on, on a fly that I've personally tied, um, is, that is just the cat's meow for sure. Yeah. So, um, how long into your journey uh, as a fly fisherman, uh, was it before you ended up starting, you know, started tying your own ties and, and, you know, not necessarily buying stuff from the store, but buying parts and then doing all the assembly yep. and stuff at home. I would say I would have been, oh man, I probably bought my first vice and all the tools. I'm going to say when I was 20, um, I'm 27 right. now. Um, and it, I've definitely kind of, it's for sure. I'd say I'm on a, a year cycle right now. I think last year I probably tied three dozen essential flies that I hate spending $3 a piece on. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of running out, but no, that's, um, that's definitely where, yeah, about seven years now is where I've been doing the, the at home stuff. Um, and it's super rewarding. I, um, I live in a house, all of us, it's four guys and we all fish and we all hunt. Um, so in the winter we'll, we'll pull out the kitchen table and everybody will grab their vice and, and we'll sit there and, you know, have a couple beers and we'll drink or tie flies for a couple hours, you know, when it's 20 below and January and we've got trout on our mind and, and unfrozen rivers. Yeah. So it's also a, a, a good uh, time killer in the winter for us. For sure. For sure. Now, you know, I got a bucket list, right? I, I want to go and I want to kill an elk. I want to kill an antelope. I want to kill a mule deer. I want to moose, you know, caribou. Those are, those are right off the top animals that I want to go kill with my bow or hunt with my bow. Yep. What's your fly fishing bucket list? Uh, it's actually kind of funny that you would bring this up, Dan. Uh, myself and four buddies, we just made a private Facebook group called the most badass fishing trip ever. <laughs> and we were super cheesy. I know that's so bad. Um, but it's five of us and, um, we got talking about, you know, all these pipe dreams that we've had. And finally one of the guys said, screw it. I'm making at least a Facebook group. If we're going to talk about it, we can talk about it together. Um, and we, we threw a bunch of ideas out. If money wasn't an option, uh, the predatory trout is going to kick in. I'd love to go to Mongolia for taming. Um, I mean, you're catching the world's largest trout species on a fly rod on 
patterns that imitate rats. That's pretty exciting in my book. Um, so especially wait, given how, wait a second in, in Mongolia, right? So that's in Asia yep. and, uh, yep. it's a, it's a same species as, or a same kind of a same species as a, a trout, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. And they eat rats. Yep. That was how the, how I've read is the locals were catching tame and they were taking essentially groundhogs, rats, um, tying them to lines and then throwing them in the river and then the fish would eat them. Um, <laughs> so that's awesome. That's, um, yep. So as you can imagine with what we've talked about with loving predatory brown trout, um, yeah. I guess being 27 and being realistic, we, we've all kind of agreed we're going to shoot for a, a spring 2018 uh, do-it-yourself helicopter trip in New Zealand. Um, wow. That's, that's coming up so pretty that's fast. The, yep. If, if it's going to be possible, who, who knows, but we can also do a spring 19, right. um, which is, of course, their fall. Uh, we're, yep. They're backwards down there. Um, but that's the... That is really my, if we're going to put one thing on a dream trip, I would love to catch a, you know, their average three to five pound brown trout in New Zealand and, and they eat dry flies. That's like the fly fisherman's dream is, you know, 24 plus inch brown trout on engine clear water on a dry fly. Um, so that's the, that right now is what is in sight for us. Um, and for me specifically, I was in New Zealand last year and, and just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and it's not going to be one of those places I hope I can go back, but I'm going back. So on a, uh, on a fly fishing trip, Uh, I was there for, um, actually it was one of the very first photography trips for the subalpine pattern with, uh, Sika designer, John Barklow. Okay. Uh, We went and did, um, we did three days of tar and chamois hunting, and then we did seven days of free-range stag on the South Island. Nice. So is the brown trout in Montana the same as the brown trout in New Zealand? They are. Yep. They're both uh, German-descendant brown trout. Um, New Zealand has fairly sterile water, um, so you're seeing on average about one trout per half mile to a mile, depending on the river system. Um, it's all sight fishing. It's no, no blind casting, you know, typically 90% of the time here in Montana, that's all we're doing. But, um, in New Zealand, it's getting a high spot, getting a vantage point and hopefully finding what you think is a log. And then that log starts to move and, um, then you, you target that one specific fish. Right. Wow. That sounds, uh, that sounds fun. Um, so Mongolia and, uh, New Zealand, anything else? Uh, saltwater destination. Um, I would love to go to Costa Rica on, um, there's a couple different options in Costa Rica, but, um, I believe it's the, is it the Gulf side or the Atlantic side of Costa Rica. Um, they have tarpon that live, uh, in the river systems, but they will also go into um, the salt water as well um, right. and then into the rivers. Um, so you're kind of, you're catching tarpon in literally the open ocean, which, which isn't very typical. It's kind of unique to Costa Rica itself. Um, 
and then you're you're catching fish on kind of the mud lines from the river system into the into the ocean um and then i'm i'm fortunate enough i've got uh, an uncle that has a, a boat at the marina los Uenos on the pacific side um and I, i've met some people that have caught sailfish and marlin on fly rods um so that that that's kind of up there as well for me wow wow that's pretty uh specific as well it is yeah i was fortunate i went down there for a, a week in march um and seeing those sailfish eat, you know, teasers and stuff that, you know, we're using spinning gear down there, or bait casters, I guess you can say. Um, and all, all I wanted to do was have a fly rod in my hand. So that's, um, <laughs> I was definitely pretty, I'm pretty well bit by the bug, Dan, not going right. to lie, if you right. can't tell by now. Oh, absolutely. It's It's funny how the outdoors can do that and not just, you know, not just hunting, you know, while... I sit at work and daydream about, oh man, okay, well, I got to, I got to find, I'm looking at a map. I'm looking for a pinch point. I'm looking for a fence crossing, an awesome bedding area. You're probably doing the same thing, but you're looking for a certain bend in the river that's going to hold deeper water, or you're looking for, um, you know, whatever you look for. It's just, it's the same obsession. It's just a different animal. Yep. Seriously. Um, uh, a lot of people, given my hunting background, I, I do and I have utilized Google Earth quite a bit, um, especially for kind of sections of river that, you know, aren't all that popular. Maybe it's a new piece for me, um, you know, kind of the lower Yellowstone, the lower Missouri, um, you know, the lower lower Yellowstone specifically, um, it can get super braided out and you you know, you don't want to make the wrong turn and miss your boat ramp or anything like that. So I'll use it to scout boat ramps as well. Um, since none of those are marked for us, you've got to kind of got to use intuition and, you know, know how many miles you've covered and, and keep an eye on it. So I'll utilize Google earth for that. Um, I'll also util- utilize Google earth to, to kind of point people in the right direction as well on rivers and, and show them where the bend is or where the access is. Um, but no, trying to find like the little blue line, you find a little blue line on the map, you can find it on Google Earth and, you know, pretty quickly tell if it's going to have trout in it or not. Um, you know, a lot of these rivers dry up in the summer. Last thing I want to do is, you know, drive an hour, an hour and a half to find out that it's only an active river in spring runoff and there isn't a single thing that lives in it. Um, and Google Earth can help with that and kind of, least get an idea google takes all the pictures in the summer typically so you know if a picture was taken in august and it's got water in it well there's probably a good chance it's got water in it all year gotcha gotcha all right now for somebody like me who you know right now i'm thinking about man i want to go out there i want to come out to montana or out west somewhere and uh and do some fly fishing i i Yep. It, you know, it's uh, now now it's a dream of mine or whatever. All right. Yeah. So some of these Western states are even and even different breakdowns per river or fish or location or zone or whatever. This is, it's not really like Iowa where one fishing license will pretty much get you in anywhere. There's some uh, streams that you have to buy a trout stamp for and but you're good to go other than that. Um, talk to us a little bit about the regulations out West and, and what someone, 
because you don't just go and buy a fishing license and you're good to go, right? I mean, there's some research that has to be done beforehand. Yeah, so Montana in the past, they've had essentially, instead of a trout stamp, like a lot of states, Michigan, Iowa, um, Montana, it's kind of funny, they actually used to have a warm water fish stamp. And that was to allow you to fish, you know, the lakes and the reservoirs that we have. Um, And just recently, a lot of people are kind of getting, you know, getting frustrated that maybe they were just uninformed or, you know, because some lakes were considered, you know, warm water, but others were not, Um, you know, people just weren't purchasing it. So now it's just a part of your license fee from the state. Um, You know, whether you're a resident or a non-resident, I think license prices is what, you know, $10 for residents. Um, But now it's included. So you're done there. Um, There's a couple other automatic things that get tacked on. I believe we have a conservation enhancement. We have a fishing access site enhancement. Um, And all those are like a dollar. We've unfortunately, Montana's just recently found uh, zebra mussels um, in one of the lakes in Canyon Ferry. It's a reservoir for the Missouri River, um, which if anybody's seen a boat in Lake Michigan, you know that it's can be decimating. Um, so now the state, it's a $2, um, zebra mussel task force, I believe they're calling it. And that's that, that's to help fund, um, additional boat cleaning stations, checkpoints. Um, Montana's not messing around with it. They actually shut Canyon Ferry down a little bit, um, for a couple of weeks so they could, could kind of, you know, find out exactly where those mussels were being found at. And if it was in the entire lake or, you know, just at that one boat ramp, but they don't mess around with the invasive species. Um, but other than that, for a regulation, you know, my biggest thing is after May 15th, pretty much any moving body of water in the state's open. Um, before that, a lot of our small tributary streams, um, Mill Creek, Highlight Creek, uh, Rocky Creek, I'm just kind of naming some that are in the Bozeman area. Um, those are all closed because they're, they are a tributary and a lot of fish from the main rivers will move up those to spawn. Um, so, and then after, after May 15th, the state says, have at it. You guys are good to go. Those, those spawning fish are 99% done. And, you know, 99% of their eggs have all hatched off the reds and, you know, those, those fry are doing their own thing. So have at it. And, um, yeah, you can literally go just about anywhere. Um, and then for trout regulations for keeping, you know, for what you want to take home, that's going to be all um, river dependent. We do have a slot limit, you know, maybe it's, you know, one under 12 and one over 18. Um, so just be aware of that and then be aware of your daily uh, possession. We have a, a daily possession and then we have a um, in your possession limits as well. So they don't, the state doesn't want you to have 150 trout in your freezer. Right. So keep that in mind as well. Nice. Nice. So for, so for someone like me who, let's say I go out there, right? I, I do my research. I kind of, I know where um, I'm going to be. I, I know how to use the equipment. Am I going to be successful um, if I, out, out there, if I, if I put a little time in? Yes. hundred percent. You're going to be. Yep. Um, Bozeman, specifically the Bozeman area. Um, kind of this Gallatin Valley is blessed with, oh gosh, 
six fly shops. Um, there's three in Yellow or in Livingston. There's oh, there's three in Ennis. Um, I mean, we the amount of knowledge that you can learn just from a half hour stop in one of our many fly shops. Um, they're gonna set you up properly. They're gonna kind of help point you in the right direction for you know which rivers are fishing best currently. Um, a lot of people come out here and they don't have access to a boat. Um, you know, those, those local employees can help point you in the right direction for, for what waters are safe for you to wade. Um, yep. You know, I wouldn't recommend going to the Yellowstone if you don't have a boat. Um, you know, the, the fishable, wadeable spots are so few and far between that you're going to park and fish for a half hour and then you're going to have to get back in the car and you're going to have to drive a half hour and, and maybe even hike a mile. Yeah. Um, that takes a lot of knowledge and, and we're going to circle back to Google earth. It takes some Google earth time to find where those riffles, where the runs, um, let alone just where you can stand. Most of that river's over your head. Um, but like the Gallatin, the Gallatin river that flows right through Bozeman. I mean, you can park it honestly, Dan, any fishing access site. And if you walk, 15 to 20 minutes up or downstream, you're going to lose 90% of your crowd and you're going to find fish that want to eat a fly. Um, where we are covered up in trout and it's, um, it's a pretty special place to have right in our backyard. Just, you know, we have typically cool, clean, cold water for, you know, the entire year, the Gallatin will run pretty cold all year and those fish are fat and happy and you can, go on your lunch break at noon and go and catch three fish and all right, cool. I got my fishing fix. I guess I'll go back to the office. Um, wow. So yep, no, definitely somebody comes out here and they've never caught a fish. I mean, um, we actually had a couple guys out, um, for the Sika converge event, a couple guys you probably may have even talked to. I mean, they got out in some drift boats with guys this weekend and, um, or last weekend and yeah, they caught fish and, they had a great time for never even touching a fly rod. Um, it's totally possible. Right. So what about, you know, like for archery equipment, you have to have the right draw to match your body type and, you know, poundage to match your strength and whatnot. Is there different equipment for different, I guess, heights or wingspans, or let's say like, um, I'm six one, my wife is five one. Uh, would she be able to use the same pole as me? Definitely. So we're, I'm not even going to open this can of worms, but if we are talking using, you know, spay rods, you know, it's a, a fairly specific type, then height can matter um, for your setup. But for a single hand trout rod, nope, not at all. Um, your go-to, if you walked into pretty much any shop and said, I've never touched a fly rod before, I've got 200 bucks set me up, they're going to set you up with a nine foot five weight. Um, that's the the go-to trout rod for the summer. Um, it's pretty much, you know, all I'll use for dry fly fishing. Um, and then you, of course, just like our rifle, just like, you know, a bow, you've got, you know, your different weights and your different lengths, but you're, um, if you want a quiver of one, you want your, you know, your, your Halon 32, you know, 29 inch draw length, it's going to be a, a nine foot five weight. Um, nice. that's your, that's going to be your, your standard for sure across the board. Nice. So you live in Montana. 
It's like the outdoor capital of the world, basically. And we didn't even, like we haven't even talked about hunting yet. Um, you, you are a, a fly fish fanatic, fly fishing fanatic, but you do hunt as well, right? No, you bet. I um I can shake shake the the Michigan boy in me. I can't shake shake the whitetail buck. Um, yeah, Montana river bottoms in September. It's um I, I believe last year. My boss, Mark Seacat, which most of you know, he said, Shannon, are you ready for, for opening weekend? And I said, yeah, you bet. I've got a, a ground blind on a chunk of state land, and I'm going to go try to shoot a whitetail. And the the look that he gave me was, <laughs> I, well, you can go elk hunting. And yeah. I, I literally, I, I just, I can't shake it. There's something about seeing a, you know, a whitetail doe, buck, fawn, doesn't matter, you know, Blinking through a, a cotton cottonwood river bottom that um right. I just can't get rid of it. Right. It, they, but um yeah, I I was oh go for it. I was just gonna say after talking with Mark Kenyon, uh and he went out there and was successful on a uh on a whitetail hunt, he made it sound yep. like the opportunity to ha or you know, the the chance that you're gonna have at least an opportunity at a shot is is really good if you uh, decide to head out there. Oh it, yeah! If you put um, if you put a little bit of homework in, um, I'm not going to give up all the trade secrets, but right. literally find find a blue line on a map that has, you know, a blue square of state land around it. Find that square of state land on, you know, on Google Earth, and if there's trees on it, and you put your time in, you're going to not only see a deer, you're going to have opportunities on deer. Um, right. It, it's baffling. Um, kind of a quick story. The first season that we, we lived out here, um, I have a, an uncle that has a thousand acres. Um, pretty much, if you look at a, at a map of Montana, there's, you know, right in the smack dab middle. Um, he's got a thousand acres that, that he's purchased mainly for upland bird hunting, but the improvements that he's made to the land for bird hunting has also improved the habitat for elk and deer. Um, the very first morning my dad ever hunted there would have been fall of 2008. My dad counted 45 different whitetail bucks on the property. Um, Man. And I know that it's, it's, it's private land and, you know, extremely limited access. And, you know, it was, but I remember my dad just walking in the house and just going, I, I can't believe that that just happened. How did, you know, you didn't see 45 deer in a, a lifetime of hunting in Michigan and, you know, in one morning you saw 45 different whitetail bucks. Um, right. But that's just the opportunities that, that are abound. I mean, you can go to Eastern Montana for mule deer and you find a big enough chunk of, you know, BLM land that's maybe a couple thousand acres and um, you're going to find deer. You might not find the deer that you want, but you're not going to get skunked in terms of, you know, not seeing deer. That's for sure. Right. Right. So anything other than whitetails, does anything else wet your whistle out there as far as uh, big game? Yep. Yeah. Mountain mule deer. It's, um, it's, I kind of go back and forth between, uh, I've never shot a true, um, you know, Eastern Montana prairie mule deer. Um, but last year I was fortunate enough to, to shoot a great, uh, high mountain mule deer buck, um, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to top them in terms of just chocolate horns and, 
weighing 300 pounds and, you know, just a uh, old warrior, big Roman nose buck that, um, yeah. that had survived many seasons and, and eluded many hunters for years. Um, you know, that was just a, a really cool experience for me to, to be on the top of the mountain and finding a buck like that. Um, and then I was fortunate enough. I was able to harvest my first elk last year too. Um, they're kind of the, my kryptonite there for a little while between missed shots and full draw and, you know, trees and vitals and, you know, bad wind. And so I was finally able to, to check off my, uh, my elk off the list as well last year. Um, nice. And then, I mean, kind of getting off topic a little bit, mountain lions and bobcats with hounds have definitely struck me as well. Um, that's kind of taken up my winter for the last couple of years. So that's, um, that would be the other big game species for me. Have you uh, dabbled in antelope at all? I have. Yep. That's, um, that's kind of my main archery focus to be truthful with you, Dan. Um, I really enjoy the kind of the, the quantity over quality on the antelope stocks. And yeah. I think last year I did two stocks and hit full draw in both of them um, and got shoot. I think one was 32 yards and the other was, I think 35, 36 yards, um, kind of picking your poison. Um, you're probably familiar with the gentleman in Ennis, Brian Barney. Um, he told me that a long time ago, don't do a stock on an antelope unless you know, you'll kill them. Um, so I've kind of taken that and ran with it on my own and yeah, I love it. There's something very humbling about those animals that when they have a pair of 10 power binoculars glued to their face. Right. So, as you know, I can hunt turkey and I can hunt deer. Well, mainly because those are the only animals. I mean, if I wanted to, in, in in Iowa, right? Those are the only two animals yeah. that I can that I can uh, hunt. You know, other than some pheasant or you know quail in certain spots, I can go fishing and whatnot. But out there, you have mule deer, antelope, elk, whitetails, and you're fly fishing, um, and you and you do some predator hunting as well. If a guy was gun ho about hunting, could could I if I lived out there, could I hunt elk, mule deer, whitetail, and antelope all in the same year? Oh yeah, you can do it in the same day if you wanted to. Um Hell, you I've guys actually, got moose I'd, up there too. Yep. I mean, so that this is a, a kind of a good way to explain it. Montana has a regulation that trail cameras cannot be set up while there is a legal and endorsed hunting season going on. I'm sure that's not exactly what the regulations read, but that's close enough. Um, You can only by law in the state of Montana have trail cameras set up from June 16th through April 14th. And those are the, that, you know, 58 days or whatever it is. That's the only time of the year that there isn't a a legal and endorsed hunting season by the state. Um, Okay. Because you start April 15th is the opener of Black Bear. That runs all the way until June 15th. Um, most of the seasons close May 31st, but the Gallatin Canyon just south of Bozeman runs through June 15th. Um, and then on August 15th is the opener of um, Archery Antelope. That's gonna That runs the entire archery season. Um, it actually runs the entire season, um, but you have to use your bow the whole time. Um, and then we'll just say it changes, but we'll, on average, September 5th is when 
uh, general archery and uh, deer for elk open. Um, and that's going to run all the way through kind of that third week of October. And then we've got one week break um, between archery and rifle. And then rifle fires up until day after Thanksgiving or that, that Sunday after Thanksgiving, excuse me. And then December 1st, lion fires up. And that goes until April 14th. Um, and then, bam, there you go, April 15th, you're back into the into the black bear game. <laughs> and I totally forgot, there's bear there to hunt too. So just yep. about everything. Uh, and bighorn sheep, and, and you guys have mountain goats too, right? Mountain goats, yep. 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 We've, um, it's, yeah, it's a... a big game sportsman's hunter's paradise. Right. Uh, we didn't even get into the, you know, the Montana's world-class waterfowl hunting. We have world-class walleye fishing. We have great pike fishing in the northern part of the state. Uh, the carp fishing in some of our rivers is starting to take off, which we're not even going to talk about because it's that much fun. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it's endless. Um, and we didn't even get into birds from, right. you know, huns and sharp tails and pheasants and mountain grouse and blue grouse and yeah it's it's pretty cool so kind of getting ready to close down here but let's say i wanted to come visit you know obviously you're a a fly fishing freak but if i wanted to come and visit montana what what month and let's say i wanted to stay one month out there what month would you recommend somebody coming out to visit? That's a good question. Um, I would probably have to say September or May. Um, So May, it can definitely snow. It's snowed in Bozeman in May as much as we all hate it. We are so ready for a break once May rolls around from the snow and the rain. Um, Everything's green. All of our river bottoms are you know, need a waist high grass and the, the leaves on the trees have just bloomed and flowers and all the prairie is just, it's the greenness it's going to be all year. Um, it's a very pretty time, but probably the most shocking weather that you wouldn't expect. Um, and then September, you know, when we get lucky, we get that Indian summer. It's, you know, 75 during the day and 40 at night. Um, you know, we have no humidity here, so it's super comfortable. Um, the cottonwood, the river bottoms are just starting to change color. Everything's turning yellow on you. Um, September is probably my favorite time of the year here in the state. Um, you can, if you're just visiting, you can go to Yellowstone National Park and, you know, watch 350-plus-inch bulls bugle their heads off. Um, that's always something kind of fun to do to somebody that's never seen an elk before um the fishing's incredible we've got grasshoppers coming off pretty hard at that point um waters are cooling down fish are getting hungry packing on the uh on the calories for the the upcoming winter so and um and then if you want to hunt that's when everything's firing up um between waterfowl and big game and and upland that's like september's a sportsman's like month here for sure Gotcha. Well, I tell you what, Shane, um, 
I'm going to be thinking about this tonight instead of other things. So <laughs> like my family, probably when my wife goes, Hey, why aren't you listening to me? I'm going to be like, uh, I'm blaming my guest today, Shane Rickert. So, uh, it's yep. your fault. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> well, I'm glad we can, um, it, Montana has been a special place for me to live. I can't deny that. Um, and then anybody that is ever in the state, in the town, we, um, We've, we're pretty high class at the house now. We actually bought a mattress to have, um, so people are no longer crashing on the couch. We're <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to to up the game for guests that stay. Um, yeah, anybody's ever welcome because because I sure do love sharing what what we've got in our backyard with people. There's no doubt about that. And by you saying this uh, while we're recording, I bet you someone's going to reach out to you. You know, and that's fine. I um. This state's done pretty incredible things for me, and I hope that I can can share, you know, Montana and the Gallatin Valley with somebody else. Um, I know we're kind of wrapping up, but but seeing that diverge or the the converge event that Sika just put on for their guides and outfitters last weekend, I bet you over half of those guys had never been to Montana, um, and seeing their eyes light up and seeing them taking pictures of the Bridgers that. You know, I get to look at them every day, but seeing those right. guys take pictures and tell me how beautiful it is, it, um, it definitely makes you take a back seat and go, you know what? I do live in a pretty cool place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, man, um, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to come on the podcast and chat with us, BS with us for a little bit. And let me be the first to say good luck this upcoming hunting season and good luck continued fishing season. No, I appreciate it, Dan, very much, man. Thanks for having me. And we're done. Huge shout-out to Shane for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. Uh, Awesome, 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 awesome. Huge shout-out to each and every one of you who listen to this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Huge shout-out to each and every one of the partners of this podcast, Exodus Outdoor Gear and Exodus Trail Cameras, Ripcord Arrow Rests, Deer Lab, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Ozonics, Gearhead Archery, Wasp, and I think that does it. Uh, be sure to go out and support those companies because they support me and, uh, you know, give love, take love type of deal. I think, I don't know, I just made that up. I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> go check them out. If you haven't already, go to iTunes, leave a review on about this podcast. Uh, I guess if you don't like it, you can leave a, a negative review, or if you love it, give it a five-star review and uh, tell me how awesome I am. I'm just giving you shit. Anyway, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, check out the Nine Finger Chronicles, uh, do a lot of cool things. Uh, also, Happy Hour will be back this week and happy hour i'm not sure if i'm gonna do it thursday or friday more than likely friday again but uh be sure to give happy hour on facebook live a listen last week we gave away a pack of wasp broadheads and we're gonna do something similar this week other than that guys Hopefully you had a good 4th of July. Now it's time to get back to work for a short week, and then we can get back out there and start thinking about whitetails again. Happy birthday, America. And I, I don't know.
don't even really know what to say. Uh, be good to one another. Wear your damn safety harness. And go support the National Deer Alliance. How about that?